Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45211. It is our mission to worship God and follow Jesus as we love and serve in His name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or each Wednesday as we feed the community at 530 p.m. We hope the following message inspires you in some way. Deo gratium habinus. Let us be grateful to God. You know, I love that video because when all your conveniences are two feet underwater, you make a priority out of what is important to you. Deo gratium habinus. Today we are grateful. To God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve and Lenita, for giving us this privilege to be present with God's army. That is who you are. I hope I make the case today. I want to thank the deacons and all the leadership here for your confidence in allowing us, strangers, to come and share with God's people. I sure hope we don't disappoint you. You know, the, the assignment for us today is to talk about purpose in life. Purpose in life. And so, the title of our talk is Tone. And at the end of the day, if you would like, we have a complimentary book called Tone, which will really validate everything that I hope you hear today. But as I think about life's purpose, I always think of the prophets. You know, all the prophets, it's hard for us sometimes to really correlate, but they had lives too. You know, I'm sure the prophets had families and got up in the morning and went to work and had different things that they had to do to service their life. But then the Lord gave them a special charge. And I think of Hosea. To me, what a life on purpose. Let me just give you an executive summary of the prophet Hosea as a person who living on purpose. Hosea, whose name meant salvation or deliverance, was chosen by God to live out his message to his people by marrying a woman who would be unfaithful to him. Hosea's sensitivity towards his people's sinful condition and his sensitivity towards God's loving heart fitted him for this difficult ministry. Jose prophesied in the mid-750 range before Christ, so we're talking about 2,800 years ago. And this is what it was like then. Though all the gauges of outward success seemed possible for Israel, underneath disaster was lurking. The people of this period enjoyed peace, plenty, and prosperity. But anarchy was brewing, and it would bring the political collapse of the nation in a few short years, 20 or so to be exact. Jose described the characteristic social condition of his day, 2,800 plus years ago. Corrupt leaders, 
unstable family life, widespread immorality, class hatred, poverty. Though people continued a form of worship, idolatry became more and more accepted, and the priests were failing to guide the people into ways of righteousness. In spite of the darkness of those days and ours, Jose holds out hope to inspire his people to turn back to God, just as we have come here today for his people, you and us, to turn back to God, the universal purpose of every believer's life is to carry the tone of the kingdom wherever we go. The problem is, how do you get God's message of love to a people not inclined to listen and not likely to understand even if they do listen? God's solution in the Old Testament, was to let the prophet be his own sermon in the form of Hosea. In summation, Hosea shows by his own love for Gomer the kind of love God has for Israel and for us. You see, back in the Old Testament times, God would command a prophet to give a message. Today, I believe, he is calling on the body of Christ, not a prophet necessarily, but rather a priesthood, a royal priesthood. That is who you are. That is who we are. Just as in the prophet's days, the challenge is how to get God's message of love to people not inclined to listen. Sound familiar? Well, let's see if we can get an answer. Can we go to the next one? Okay. Thank you, sir. God's solution is our tone. The definition of tone, the character, strength, and attitude of a person, place, or situation. Your tone. Your tone is your character, your strength, your attitude. What's our tone? What's mine? What's our collective, universal tone? What's the tone of the kingdom? If our charge today is to sink our tone to the tone of the kingdom, what is that tone? We don't have to go any further than the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter. It's the model prayer. It reads, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy, worthy, of praise. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? The tone of the kingdom. But then Jesus went a little further when he was teaching the apostles. He said in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's tough, isn't it? But that is the word of God. So I was introduced to this concept of tone back in 2016 by these two young ladies right here. I want to share with you just briefly the executive summary of our characters in the book, Comfort and Mercy. Really, Grace and Esther. Comfort is the taller lady who's the interpreter here. It's 2016. We had heard about Boko Haram attacking villages in the northeast corner of Nigeria, attacking any Christians, any Muslims that would do business with moderate Christians, sell milk, anything to do with the West. Boko Haram would come in and they would attack the village, shoot all of the elders, and kidnap all the women and children and sell them into sex slavery or indentured servants to other Muslim families. When I arrived at the internally displaced persons camp in 2016, I had gotten that general background but had no idea until we were given the opportunity to ask the children to share their experiences. And so Mercy, the little girl in the pink, and her interpreter Comfort shared with me her experience Okarang came into her village. She lived with her mother and grandfather, who was already handicapped. And they had taken his, her grandfather out into the street and maimed him intensely to throw fear into the village. Mercy and her mother were captured, taken into the jungles of Niger, and were going to be sold into sex slavery, along with all the other children that were kidnapped. I know this is hard to, to hear, but I want you to get a feel for what's happening around the world and how great God is. That's the story of the book. That's the story I hope to share with you today. She told the story of how, while they were in captivity, her mother, a very strong person, would notice that the captors, the Muslims, would face the wall and pray at designated times during the day. And after prayer, there would be a large pickup truck that would come and take children and females off what they know, now know was to be sold into slavery. And so on the third day of captivity, Esther, Mercy's mother, says, when they go to the wall, I want you to be near me. Because when they faced the wall, on the other side there was a building in the corner of the compound, and Esther's mother put a big log in the corner. 
And just as they started Muslim prayer, knowing that that truck was coming to take these kids away, and it was her daughter's turn, she shimmied Esther up to the top of that log and pushed her over that wall. And as, as Esther turned and looked up, her mother's head was over the wall. She says, run, run, run for your life. She did. She wandered in the jungle for three days, found a village, because they're village people. They know if you follow water, you're going to find a village. And that's what she did. And when she found the village, she stayed outside the village for fear that Boko Haram might come there. And she was drinking water off of mango leaves and eating out of their compost pit. When some of the ladies in the village noticed her, went out, befriended her, gave her some rice and beans, started to find out where she was from. During this time, our ministry was supporting outreach pastors. We would give them backpacks with literature, get them on a little motor scooter, send them up into the Northeast after we ordained them, and we would say, you give us a year. And they would go from village to village to village to preach the good news. And during this time, this village happened to have one of those outreach pastors. And the pastor found out where she was from, rode back on his bike, found out that the village was destroyed just completely destroyed, came back and explained to Mercy that all your people are gone. I'm sorry. And these American missionaries, a group of us, have provided monies to help in the event you would like to go to an internally displaced persons camp in the southern part of Nigeria, Benin City, to be exact. While Mercy really wanted to stay because she liked the people there, the people were very poor as well and couldn't afford to keep her. So she went to the IDP camp. Right here in this picture, she had been there less than two weeks when we got this story about her. And so, of course, our hearts were broken. And at the end of the story, Mercy is explaining to Comfort, and, and Comfort says, Big Weebo, white man, what you need to know is that we refuse in this camp to be victims. Rather, we have made a decision to be intentionally grateful for our life. <laughs> I mean, there's no words for that. Also, she says, we have all accepted the concept of being willing to forgive because we need to empty our pockets of all our resentment rocks because we don't want them to make us victims. <laughs> I said, hold on a minute. Comfort, say it again. Now we're just like, mouths are so open, flies are landing in there. You mean to say everyone in this camp has the same experience at the time, 1,500 kids or so. Today, 3,700. One of five camps in Nigeria. Over 15,000 displaced children with no family left. I said, you mean to say that everyone here, every week, 30 people on a bus coming, are intensely grateful and are willing to forgive? Yes, sir. It's a spiritual necessity. 
gratitude. Willingness to forgive is a spiritual necessity. Saints, they are speaking to us right here in the United States of America today. Drop the rocks. They're tethering you to the past. Every year, 2017, 2018, we would go back, and one of the first places we would go is to the IDP camp. How's Comfort doing? She needed help with computer skills. She was a little behind in class. We would make provision. Well, how's Mercy doing? Mercy's having trouble with her speaking, so we would hire a speech consultant. Did it all very covertly. Never gave the money to leadership in the camp. Always gave it to outside sources who were going to provide the services. Because even there, corruption reigns everywhere. But we were very intentional about checking, checking. 2019, 2020. I show up in our little bus thing, you know, and I get out. Here comes Mercy running over. She's got her only skirt, Sunday skirt and sandals, and she's so animated. I'd never seen her smile in four years. I'd never seen her smile. We had the most wonderful time sitting under the palm trees just talking about she's excited about getting to school, and you know, I'm just like, who is this child? Then Comfort came over and said, Oibo. Do you notice the difference in Mercy? I said, yeah, I'm so grateful to see this. And she said, she turned to Mercy and said, can I tell him the story? And Mercy said, oh, yes, she was so smiley. So we sat right next to each other, Mercy and Comfort, under a palm tree. And Comfort told me the rest of the story. In 2020, four years later, Mercy had been crying herself to sleep every night, not necessarily because of the siege, not necessarily because of the bad men, in the book, but because she didn't know where her mother was. I mean, she had an idea, but she didn't know. Then, really, two weeks before I had gotten there, there was a call from somebody to the leaders of the, of the IDP, and this woman said that she was Mercy's mother, and she had escaped from her captors in the north. She had been badly beaten, badly abused, didn't have long to live. All she wanted to do was see her daughter. So, thankfully, we had left a little bit of money there with somebody else. And we, could, we got this, the, the leadership went out to, to, to this woman and checked it out, made sure she had all the validation. It was clearly her mother, and she was clearly in bad shape. So we put her in Benin Hospital. And then the, the leaders plus comfort told Mercy that they had found, her mother had found her, but she was in bad shape. See, they're very transparent about things because you can't hide it. Your mother's in bad shape, doesn't have long to live. We want to bring you to the hospital. So they packed her only little bit of clothes and they went to the hospital. Comfort reported to me that when they saw each other, unbelievable. She slept next to her mother, just like she did when they were captives. Great conversation. The next day, 
Mercy said they had two wonderful conversations, and at 4.05, her mother died. They went, they picked her up from the hospital. As it was reported to me, she was very, very, very solemn and quiet. And they weren't sure how to, you know, what do you say? What do you do? I mean, knowing the history, knowing everything is like unreal. So I'll read to you from the book what happened. <clears throat> Very easy. Once back in camp, comfort. Ask mercy. If, are you okay? To which she replied, yes, my big sister. Thank you. Comfort continued. We slept well through the night and the next. I noticed Mercy did not cry herself to sleep either night. Others also noticed Mercy was different, kind of confident. The girl's director and I, Comfort said, sat with Mercy and asked Mercy, you haven't cried since you've been back. Is everything okay? And Mercy replied, I won't be crying any longer. I won't be crying any longer, because now I know where my mother is. Now I know where my mother is. Mercy said, I told her about Jesus. And she believed and accepted him out loud to me. This is still tough. Six years later. My mother's not dead. She's sleeping peacefully until the day we shall be together forever in eternity. Hope is a desire for a certain thing to happen or a feeling trust. Four years, she cried herself to sleep because she didn't know where her mother was. Your God, our God, put them together because that little girl had hope. Hope is a desire for a certain thing to happen or a feeling of trust. That was it. At that moment, I realized what the tone of the kingdom really is. You see, we must be intentionally grateful because without it, we can't go any further. I don't know how anyone can be willing to forgive void of some gratitude in their life. I really don't. I don't know how that's possible. But once we become intentional about gratitude, as those children did, and they became willing, key word, you don't wake up and be totally forgiving people. You become willing 
And how do you do that? You ask God to help. You become willing. Eternal hope. A desire for a certain thing to happen. And a feeling of trust. Trust is the tone of the kingdom. Amen? You know, our universal purpose, our universal purpose is to be that beacon for the community. Jesus did a lot of, an awful lot of things with 12 people. Don't be concerned about numbers. Numbers are irrelevant. Purpose is what's important. I'm here to propose to you today, and I'm going to challenge you today, that if you'll join us for the next three weeks and be intentionally grateful, willing to forgive, eternally hopeful, and trusting in the Lord, you will be amazed at what will happen in this community. Lenita was kind enough to give me a copy of the book I believe you're studying called Letters to New Disciples. The author's name is Thomas A. Jones. I want to read for you just a little bit about purpose from this author. And this is from page 24 and 25. I'm paraphrasing. Please forgive me. We have the highest of all purposes. We are now involved in living the most meaningful and significant life that a person can possibly live. Listen to the Apostle Peter. But you are a chosen people. It's no mistake that you're here. You're here because you've been chosen. A holy nation a people belonging to God. You are not your own. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. That is who you are. 1 Peter 2.9 The world wants to press against you make you to not even know who you are. But we have come here today to tell you point blank, you are a royal priesthood, and it will never change unless you, unless you disinherit yourself. God won't. He loved us enough to give us free will, Irregardless of how messed up things are, <laughs> he is not going to disinherit you. You'll have to do that all on your own. And I pray today that that won't happen. We are walking with God. We have a relationship with the Lord of the universe. We are a chosen people and part of a chosen community. This community is a chosen community. Don't let anything or anyone lie to you 
You are a royal chosen priesthood. When the last great firestorm is over, 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11, the work of many famous politicians won't matter. The songs sung by many top, top artists won't matter. I was a Cincinnati Bengal. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the corporations built by some of the world's brightest businessmen will not matter. We built a wonderful company, served a lot of people. Company's still very successful today. Won't matter. Won't matter. We're grateful. That's not going to matter. But everything you did as a disciple of Jesus will matter. Firefighters, policemen, daughters will matter. Even the little cup of cold water you offer to some neglected soul in the name of Jesus will matter. Every meal you serve, this community matters because we are a royal priesthood. Amen? The author, Mr. Jones, confessed later in the book that he has multiple sclerosis, a very difficult condition. The author goes on to say, I don't know what your challenges are, but I know we all have them chronic illness, disability, truckloads of financial or family problems. But whatever your trials, you have the same great blessing that I have. You have a friendship with the Lord of the cosmos. A friendship. The King of the universe, the everlasting Father and the wonderful Counselor. You have the best reason in the world to stay thankful and to stay joyful. Nehemiah says in 8.10, Go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared, which you do. This day is sacred to the Lord every day you serve is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It was that last phrase that caught the author's attention. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy comes from who God is. The joy comes from what God has done. The joy comes from what God is doing. The joy comes from what God has promised to do. Who God is is enough to produce gratitude. Amen? Well, the rest of the story... Okay, see this picture right here? 
That was two months ago at the IDP camp in Benin City, Nigeria. Now, I don't even know if you can really recognize Comfort's in the, in the orange shirt. Mercy's done caught up with her. Comfort is a second-year law student at Benin University. Mercy is going to be finishing her senior year in school and hopes to test to go, guess where? Benin University to be a lawyer like her big sister. Is there a difference between the countenance on th these ladies' faces? Six years is all the time has gone since that first picture. Six years. That's why I've come here. I want to witness to you the result of the tone of the kingdom. And I'm making a challenge to the body of Christ, to you and to us, for the next three weeks, for the rest, for the rest of November. I'm asking you for maybe 10 minutes of your life here. Every morning, before you would leave your house, and in the evening before you go to bed, today I will be intentionally grateful because it's a spiritual necessity. Willing to forgive. Get the box of rocks out of your pocket. Eternally hopeful. Hope is a desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust. Trust in the Lord. Saints, every day from now until November. If you have an iPhone, take a picture of the slide. Or, I'm sure we can make copies for people who need that. For the next three weeks, I'm asking you to simply wake up and say, today I will be intentionally grateful, willing to forgive, willing to forgive. Hard to do. Stick with it. Eternally hopeful. Hope will arise. Why? Because if you're grateful and forgiving, Christ will be in you. The hope of glory. It will happen. It's not a question. It's a fact. If you're grateful and you're forgiving, Christ moves in and becomes the hope of your glory. And what happens as a result? We trust in the Lord. And trust is the tone of the kingdom. Our little book is here. It is complimentary. We also, you can go on our website, gtgim.org backslash tone. It brings you right to the book. Click onto the cover page. It'll open. It's portable. It's printable. It's a gift. We are so committed to this message. Saints, I don't want to say I'm a minor prophet. I was a minor football player. <laughs> but I am here with an unction and a burden for the season. Please, please, all the thoughts that church used to be this way and now it's this way, get rid of it. It doesn't matter. What matters is where we're going. What matters is where we're going. If you're intentionally grateful, if you as a body are willing to forgive,
hope will arise. And you will be the tone of the kingdom. Amen?